This is the Feminem Podcast, the official podcast of Feminem, discussing all things femme, a little bit of EM, and everything in between. Next up on our Fixed 19 Talks, we have Dr. Ken Milne. He's the Chief of Staff at South Huron Hospital in Exeter, Ontario, Canada. He's passionate about skepticism and critical thinking, and he is well known for his podcast, The Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Over the last couple of years, Ken has become an outspoken supporter of Feminine. In his fixed talk called From Evidence-Based Medicine to Feminist-Based Medicine, he explores the inequities within evidence-based medicine. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ken. I'm gonna just take a cleansing breath. Well, it's a real honor to have the opportunity to come and speak at FIX19. Anyone who knows me knows that I am a huge EBM nerd. And so the title of my talk is From Evidence-Based Medicine to Feminist-Based Medicine. And as Jenny said, my eyes have been opened. And they've been opened and made me reflect and think and go, hmm, thanks, Dara Cass, for doing that. And, and after reflecting about my, you know, my mantra of evidence-based medicine, EBM, after reflecting and processing, I came up with this talk, from EBM to FBM. And if we're gonna talk about EBM, evidence-based medicine, we need a working definition of evidence-based medicine. So here is a working definition of evidence-based medicine. This was done by Dr. David Sackett about 20 years ago. And he said that evidence-based medicine is the conscientious, explicit, judicious use of the current best evidence in providing care to individual patients. So that's what I mean when I'm going to be using the term evidence-based medicine for this talk. I like it, but I would tweak it just a little bit. I would add to it shared decision. Because I think in 2019, we, we should be sharing our decisions with the patients. So it's the conscientious, explicit, judicious use of the current best evidence to make shared decisions about individual patients' care. And I know that's wordy. And I know Ross Fisher's in the audience, and I don't like bullet points for Ross. And so I have a Venn diagram to show you. So here's the Venn diagram for evidence-based medicine. And a lot of people think evidence-based medicine, it's all about the literature. But the literature doesn't dictate what we do. It shouldn't tell you what to do. It should inform your care. It should guide your care. But it shouldn't do thou shalt do this. You still need to use your good clinical judgment when doing evidence-based medicine. And you need to ask the patient, what do you prefer? What are your preferences? So this was the world I lived in until DK came into my world. I thought this is the best way to give the best evidence to patients so they get the best care. And I felt like I was doing a fantastic job. But my eyes have been opened. And since they've been opened, I can't close them to the inequities I see in medicine. This woman here is responsible for that. She, and she's sitting right up front, everybody. Even if I close my eyes, I still see you, Dara. And even if I close my eyes, I still see the inequity. 
and I hear the inequities in the hallways and in the doctor's lounges and in the world. And since I have been awoken to that, I think we need to have a different view of evidence-based medicine. Because I had that simple view of evidence-based medicine, now this is what I see when I see evidence-based medicine. So, evidence-based medicine, this is what I see. The literature, this is a little bit interactive, okay? So I'm gonna need your support from the audience. This will be a little bit interactive. The literature. Of course, I'm an EBM guy, so I have a citation, a reference for every claim I'm about to make. Who gets the most grants in medicine, men or women? Thank you, everyone. All right, you you've, you've understand the concept. Okay, so who rises to the top of academia? Correct. Wow, you guys are gonna get all these answers right. Knowledge translation and action. All right, who is most likely to be the first author on a medical publication? All right, I met some pediatric emergency medicine physicians yesterday. Where are they? Where's the PZM group? They make up 62% of the workforce. Who's the first author in a PZM paper? Men. And who's most likely to get excluded? Who's most likely to get excluded as a test subject, as a participant from research? Women. And the best example I have of that is a study that was done on the association between various factors in uterine cancer. You know who they eliminated? Women. And they extrapolated from men to women for an association with uterine cancer. My eyes have been open, people. <laughs> All right, how about the clinician? I could have picture, put a picture of me up there because it's usually a middle-aged white male, privileged white male, right? That's most likely to be the clinician. Who rises to the top of the hospital hierarchy? 3% of CEOs are women. 6% of chairs of department, sorry, are, yeah, 6% of chairs of department are women. 9% of chiefs are women. And yet how much do women make up of the hospital workforce? 80%. They make up 80%, 3% of CEOs. Wow. Unbelievable when it comes to that. But how about just everybody's pay? Who makes more in medicine, men or women? $20,000 a year. Who makes more in academic medicine, men or women? $17,000. Who makes more in academic emergency medicine, my world, men or women? $12,000 a year. $12,000 a year. Now here's a, here's a little trick question. Who gets mistaken for a nurse more often? <laughs> oh, I was mistaken for a nurse once. And I took it as a... And, I was actually asked, this is a side story, this isn't part of my talk, but I was coming to this talk and I met a patient from New York and I said I was going to this talk and she said, in New York and she goes, oh, what's the conference? I said, Feminem. She goes, what's that stand for? I said, females in emergency medicine. And she goes, oh, are you transitioning? <laughs> my wife's here and she'll tell you I'm rarely speechless. <laughs> I had no idea what to say. But getting back to the nurses, I know that um, I don't want to insult anyone. It wasn't meant to be an insult to be recognized as a nurse. I actually took it as a compliment because I was sitting down talking to an elderly patient and the family member came by and said, oh, you must be my mother's nurse because I was sitting with the patient, taking time, and we're so busy and moving. And so 
I always say, who walks into the room wearing a white lab coat, introduces themselves as doctors, takes care of the whole patient encounter, right, has a name badge or embroidered that says physician, and still gets mistaken for the nurse, a woman, right? All right, so let's talk about the patients here, quickly. Um, patients, okay, who accesses healthcare more, men or women? Women. Who's responsible for childhood or family healthcare? 80%, right? Who gets systematically undertreated in the emergency department for painful conditions? Women, they're part of a select group. Women, the extremes of age, and people of color, okay? But women get under, how about something really, really objective and life-threatening in emergency medicine? An MI, a STEMI, who gets undertreated for that? Women, and they're twice as likely to die of that STEMI. My eyes have been open. I cannot keep them closed any longer. And so I have a proposal for you. Here's my proposal. And um, you may notice from the titling, I've put, it's the Cass Milne Venn diagram of feminine-based medicine. I didn't ask uh, Dara's permission, but I hope it's okay. I'm going to FBM, from EBM to FBM, feminist-based medicine. And this will be a Venn diagram of the Cass Milne Venn diagram. And so the world has changed. It's gone online. Research is being done online. Medical education is being done online. Knowledge translation is being done online. And so we need to ensure that the researchers get access to grant money so they can ask questions that are important to women. And so those questions that can be answered and inform our care. And we need to make sure that they get the grants, they get to be the first authors, and when they walk into the room and identify themselves as a physician wearing a white lab coat with a name badge that says physicians, people go, hey, you must be the doctor. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? All right, the world has changed. Women make up at least 50%, if not more, of medical school grads. We need to make sure that they rise to the highest level that they want to obtain within the hospital structure and that they get paid equally for the job that they are doing and are recognized for that. And then finally, in emergency medicine, it's one of the nice things about being an emergency medicine doctor, is it's for anyone, anyone, anytime, for any condition. We're inclusive, right? It doesn't matter. In the house of medicine, our light is on, and we're there for those people. And that's what I'm gonna describe as feminist-based medicine. That transition from evidence-based medicine to feminist-based medicine, where we have people, researchers, and writers of research papers asking those questions, publishing those, and that the people at the clini clinical bedside are able to represent themselves and equally have access to the hospital hierarchy and deliver great care, and that we don't base it on how people identify. Now, I know that I may have made a few people uncomfortable doing this, and I did something on purpose. I have been talking, for how many minutes, on men and women. I've dichotomized my talk, and I dichotomized my talk on purpose to men and women. And in fact, I gave all part of my talk on this side and all part of my talk on the other side to accent that dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. Derek Cass has opened my eyes. And I'm on a journey of enlightenment and this journey of enlightenment made me realize that it's not just men and women, that there is a spectrum out there and people identify any way they want. And so I'm suggesting that we don't just um, do feminist-based medicine and stop there 
That's the starting point. We need to go on to gender-based medicine. And I've got this, and like, look at how complicated that Venn diagram is. It's not three circles overlapping that I can understand, right? It's complex. It's a spectrum. This is on sexuality and gender. And it made me realize that there is this broad spectrum of individuals. And we need to be inclusive and respectful, and not just inclusive and tolerant, welcoming of those individuals into the house of medicine, whether they're the clinician or whether they're the patient. But I'm gonna take it one step further, Dara. Can it go one step further? Yes, it can. So, being OCD, it started with evidence-based medicine, a nerdy white guy, okay? It moved to feminist-based medicine, right? which is talking about the inequities we have in medicine. My eyes have been opened, E, F. To G, gender-based medicine, recognizing it's not a dichotomy. There are lots of different types of people in the world and they all have value and it's a spectrum, so gender-based medicine. But ultimately, what I really want to achieve, that goal, that hope, and I know it's E, F, G, what's the next letter? H, humanist-based medicine, all right? There's one race, there's the human race, right? And that one race, that human race, everyone deserves great care based on the best evidence. And that evidence needs to include all types of people in the test subjects and the participants. It needs to be inclusive. And those people generating the research, publishing the research, and providing the clinical care at the bedside needs to be inclusive and it also needs to be paid equally. And then finally, at the last bit, we need to recognize that every single person has value just by being them. And if we recognize that, then we will be giving great care to every single patient encounter. Thank you very much. Yeah.